Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Oh, my God. So I got this press release last night. I was looking at my emails because I couldn't sleep and it came in and it's from the University of Sydney and it's the headline is Turn Down the Heat, New Report on Perimenopause and Thermal Discomfort in the Workplace. Does that mean you just get hot? Yeah. So it basically says that women of a certain age uh, during menopausal transition require special consideration of their requirements to ensure a comfortable working environment. And it says that um, it's just so funny the way it's all written and it just basically says that people need to turn up the air con at work. <laughs> turn so up the air con. I'm always us. cold at work. Well, Thermal discomfort is <sighs> the new term for what we hot, think. Hot, yeah, hot flashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because, Hal, you it. run hot. Well, I've been running hot for ages. I think my thermal discomfort is off the charts. But now I know that if we ever get back to the office, I can just march around insisting yeah. that my thermal discomfort needs to be taken into consideration is a win. But how oh. about my thermal discomfort, which is that I'm always freezing? Well, yeah, but you're young, so no shut up. You've got that. You. You're young, so just be happy about oh that. God. <laughs> yeah, we're not coming. Holly and I are not coming back until our issues are dealt with. We're really not. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about three times a week. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. And today is a COVID-free free Friday. Friday. COVID-free Friday. We need a song. We need a sting. Yeah. We have decided. I should that sing I- something. Oh, please don't. Every Friday is now a COVID-free Friday. There may be big news. We don't care. It's Friday. We're yeah. thinking about other things. Okay? Yeah. Are we all on board? So on board. Yeah. Great. The word may come up. We will not be penalising people if the word comes up. But in general, here we go. On today's show, have you ever worked with a toxic martyr? Are you, in fact, a toxic martyr? We explain what that is. And our best and worst of the week, which includes some very much needed puppy news. Yay! But first... Hopefully, not too many people need this information. But here we go for people who are definitely not of my generation. There used to be a band called Nirvana. Does, has anyone heard of them? Jesse Stevens? No, entertain us. That's it. That, exactly. It was a grungy early 90s. I was born in 1990, and I think, never mind, that album came out in about 91. 91? So I wasn't playing it but it might have been on in the background at my first birthday party at the time it was a musical revolution of which we had not seen for decades and everybody suddenly was into grunge and nirvana were the thing and we could talk about that all day but anyway the album never mind you're correct jesse stevens 1991 has one of the most famous covers of all time 
It is an image of a baby, a naked male baby, swimming after a dollar bill on a like fishing line underwater. And I am almost certain it is supposed to be a very important metaphorical exploration of, of capitalism. capitalism. Yes. Which yes, is why I love it. Yeah. Exactly. This is great. So Nirvana were all for that. They did go on to make quite a lot of those dollar bills out of this album. Quite a lot of them. I never realised that's what it meant. I just thought it was a baby swimming. I never thought about it. And there just happened to be a note floating in the swimming pool. It didn't give it a lot of thought. It became one of the biggest selling albums of all time. And although I don't really know if cover art means that much anymore because obviously we stream everything, it used to be really important. Anyway, Mm. that baby is a man. He's called Spencer Eldon and he is now 30 years old. And this week he announced that he is suing Nirvana, which means obviously I'm sure well, maybe a very quick history lesson, that the lead singer and main songwriter of Nirvana, Kurt Cobain, is no longer with us. He um, took his own life in 1994. But obviously Nirvana have continued on to make so much money from that back catalogue. So he is suing the remaining members of Nirvana, Courtney Love, Kurt Cobain's widow, and the estate, because he says that that image was sexually exploitative. Now, obviously, over the years... Everybody knew that that baby was Mr. Eldon and he has self-identified. He actually recreated it for an anniversary. You can easily find a picture of him with shorts on, not showing his penis, but swimming underground, in a, swimming underwater in a very similar kind of shot. People have interviewed him about it. He's got a Nirvana tattoo. It has become part of his story. That's my first question. No one would know who that baby was if he hadn't self-identified. That's true. But then his argument would be that he knew it was him and that he never consented to having his penis on one of the highest selling albums of all time. So why isn't he suing his parents? That is exactly my question. So that is a very good question because the way this image came about, just so you're all aware, it wasn't like the members of Nirvana took that picture or anything, is that they had a vision for it. The designer had a vision for it. They did a casting call for people who wanted to come to this certain pool at a certain time and have their babies shot underwater. And that was a decision that Eldon's parents made, right? His shot happened to be the right one. It got chosen. And as we've discussed over the years, Eldon has kind of Worn this is a bit of a badge of honour. And his dad was mates with the photographer and it it was quite informal and he was paid 200 bucks for it, um, which isn't a lot. But when you're paid, there's there's a contract of sorts, which is I'm paying you for this shot. Apparently, the taking of the photograph took 15 seconds. Which is good because he's underwater. Yes, very good. (laughs) They say if you look closely at it, you can see the handprint of his parent who held him. Any parent who's taken a baby to a swimming lesson knows that moment when you have to let them go. And that's, anyway, that's the moment that got captured. Anyway, he said in 2016, he said, I got a little bit upset for a bit. I just woke up already being part of this huge project. It's pretty difficult. You feel like you're famous for nothing. You didn't really do anything but their album. He's changed his tune. The new case alleges in the California Central District that the picture amounted to commercial child sexual exploitation. Everyone involved in the album has tons and tons of money, he said back in the day. I'm living in my mum's house and driving a Honda Civic. Now, what do we think about this? The internet is blowing up over the irony 
that the baby floating in a pool chasing the dollar note <laughs> grew up to be a man. See, I missed that too. Floating in the world, <laughs> potentially chasing a dollar bill. Look, yeah. I, I think I understand his feelings and he is allowed to have complicated feelings about what I think we could probably call exploitation of his body as a baby and I think that's something he should probably take up with his father who made a choice on his behalf which is what parents do with babies they need to make tiny everyday choices about what's in the best interest of their child. I also want to say that for the vast majority of people the genitals of a baby which is a sentence you should never say, are not sexual at all. Yes. And so you sit at a beach, you go to a public pool, you go to a family Christmas and you will see little naked babies running around and they're so cute and you can barely tell whether they're a boy or a girl or whatever, but they're running around and that's not how we read the bodies of infants as at all sexual. But for a tiny, 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 tiny portion of people, they do. And that's where things get complicated. It's true. That is where things get complicated. And apparently, back in the day, back in 1991, there was discussion at Geffen Records, which was the record label that Nirvana were on, about whether or not to Photoshop out the baby's penis. And it was decided not to. And then there was some discussion about whether in some retailers they should put a sticker on it, like put a sticker over the baby's genitals. And Kurt Cobain was on the record as saying that if you needed a sticker on that baby's genitals, then you yourself were probably a paedophile. That was his position, is that oh, he was saying so there is nothing sexual about this image and if you see it, that's your problem. Now, it is complicated, as you say, Jesse, because no one wants to make light, obviously, of child exploitation. And it is interesting that this young man, has his journey with it has come around, but this case that they're putting for at least $200,000, if not more, of compensation for that photo has to hinge on the idea that that was a sexual, that that's a sexual image and it's a deliberately sexual image. And that is a very difficult discussion. Mia, what are your thoughts? I'm so enjoying chewing on this story because my when I first read about it, I was like, dude, come on, like, come on. And then I think what you say, Jesse, is is really interesting. I think there's two things here. I think there's about the gaze, the public gaze, which you can't control because, you know, as many people who do work in the child exploitation field say, if, if someone is a pedophile, they can sexualize an image in a, you know, pajama catalogue mm. of a child. I, I think to me, this is a symptom of the fact that times have changed. And all we do now is teach kids about consent, that their genitals are private. We do blur out those images of genitals. You know, it used to be that I was looking through a, a photograph album, an old photograph album at my parents' house. And there was a picture of me at about, I don't know, eight or nine, and we'd been travelling around Central Australia and we'd all gone skinny dipping at Ormiston Gorge. And there was just a picture of me from behind and it's quite a beautiful picture, but I'm naked. And that picture just wouldn't be taken now because mm. there's something about, 
you know, whether it's the the photography of the artist Bill Henson, which was famously embroiled in a sort of a is this is this appropriate? Is this not appropriate? Because Bill Henson is a very famous photographer, a very successful photographer who photographs children at that kind of prepubescent age and often naked. What's interesting also now is how there's so much more opinion out there. So now if that cover had come out, there would be massive debates about should it be, shouldn't be. The fact that he's circumcised would be debated. His parents would be cancelled for circumcising him. There would be a big public discussion for a day or two about circumcising babies. It's just such a beautiful image. But it wouldn't be any less beautiful if you took away his little penis. No, and it's so true because of what you say because I've never thought about it. It's like so many things that are being pointed out from the culture that you're like, oh, yes, is that I had never thought about the fact that that man's penis had been seen by millions and millions and millions of people. Yeah. I'd never looked at that image and I've and obviously I've lived all my adult life with that album being a massively iconic piece of art. Anytime you see a picture of a baby underwater, you think of that album and I'd never ever thought about his penis. So, so what does this say about the 30 million people who bought it? Did they purchase child pornography? Well, this is why it's so interesting, like where this is going to go, is that if this, if he wins that case, what are the implications? And you can only imagine what the members of Nirvana and Courtney Love and the estate all think about this. You can only imagine. We know that with all forms of child exploitation, the damage can be in in what happens to that image and how it's used. Uh, yeah, it's really complicated, someone. isn't it? I do want to just point out a few sentences I read in an article that changed my mind about this. It says, he says, it's talking about Stephen Eldon, his feelings changed a few months ago when he tried to reach out to Nirvana to be part of his art show. Yeah. It was when they said no that he asked, why am I still on their cover if I'm not that big of a deal? He's been trying for a very long time to meet Nirvana and he hasn't and he's a bit pissed off about that. And so you read that and you go, mm. oh, is this someone who's kind of got an axe to grind? The other thing I will say in terms of implications is, Mia, you said you wouldn't take that picture today. I reckon you could find hundreds of thousands of that picture on Instagram accounts, public Instagram really? accounts right now of we've talked before about sharenting and people sharing pictures of their kids in the bath or or whatever. But no parents put little emoji or something Sometimes over the genitals. they do, but are we going to have a generation in 30 years who go, you know, of little girls who maybe they're running around, often but you see little butt cheeks or whatever, running around at, at the beach who are going, I never wanted that image shared and I I wonder what the implications of that will be. Hi girls, I just wanted to say thank you so much for Mamma Mia Out Loud. I have loved listening to you all this year. It has helped me get through quite a hard year. We've just moved to a small town where I don't really know anyone and in lockdown it's it's made it harder. But thank you so much for being the three voices in my ears that you know just bring me a bit of joy every week. Just quickly, I want to say I know that everyone's having a hard time right now, but I just encourage everyone to look around them, see if there's anyone that they can help. I met an old man at Coles on the weekend and 
he was turning 92 on Saturday and his wife had passed away two years ago and all his kids were in Sydney, so he had no one. So I've done my best. I tracked him down, found out where he lived and I've, you know, organised some things to make his day a little bit better. But yeah, I guess just doing what we can for those around us just might, you know, help us all get through this. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. I want to talk about a workplace trait called toxic martyrdom. I came across it in Stylist this week, which described toxic martyrdom as the big workplace problem we're not talking about. And here's how they described it. They say, you know the sort, they come to work when they're sick and make a point of telling you just how rubbish they're feeling. They log in early and send a message or two just so you know that they're there before you. They don't have time for lunch. They're still firing off impossibly cheery emails after 8pm. They won't accept help no matter how genuine the offer or how much it's needed. These behaviours, according to the author, give off a toxic energy. If one person doesn't have lunch or they take on more and more jobs or they stay late, it puts pressure on everyone else to do the same just to keep up. So you might be asking on top of that sort of what's the problem with it? If someone wants to work really hard, so what? But it makes people, particularly the martyrs themselves, feel resentful and angry and it fosters low morale in a workplace. The thing about a toxic martyr is that they can never feel appreciated enough for the sacrifices they make because no one asked them to make that, those sacrifices, but they keep doing it. And it can make everyone around them feel constantly guilty that they can never do enough. And the type of people who are toxic martyrs, the research suggests are either narcissists or people with low self-esteem who need this level of performance to feel better about themselves. Mm-hmm. Holly, do you relate to toxic martyrdom? Enormously. I know I have been a toxic martyr and I know that I have worked with many toxic martyrs too. And I think that it is a symptom of the fact that we think that what workplaces value is that we will do anything you know that we will work every hour that god sends we will we will be online all the time we will go above and beyond those are things that we think of workplace values so you want to constantly be showing that you're doing that but in actual fact it's terrible on many levels and it's really difficult for managers to manage this behavior because you can't be seen to reward it because then it puts that expectation on everybody but not rewarding it 
really pisses off your toxic martyr. <laughs> so they might tell you all the time, you'll say, you know, you didn't have to work that day that you were sick or, you know, you, you really should have gone home by now. And they'll go, no, no, it's fine. I just want to get it done. I'm just happy to be here. But then the next day when you ask them to do something, they'll say, I was here till nine o'clock last night. And nobody's told me how great I am for being here till nine o'clock last night. Now, I don't say that as if I've never done that. I've done it lots of times. Like I have worked in environments for most of my career where in journalism, you're, it's very deadline-driven profession, of course. You often are working back. You're working nights. On de- when I worked in magazines on deadline days, you, were, it, you just went above and beyond. That was just what you did. And if people didn't, and I think this has shifted quite a lot in workplace culture, which makes me happy. If you didn't, you would get the snarky whispers, but you also couldn't ask for any reward for it because then you would be seen to be, you know, needy and ungrateful. So it puts people in a really, it puts managers in a difficult position of not, of how to handle that. And I see it all the time. Oh, this is such an interesting thing to think about. I want to bring a boss's perspective to toxic martyrdom because I also have been a toxic martyr before when I've been an employee. I've also worked with toxic martyrs, which is so, it's almost a form of gaslighting. It can be. When I worked um, in a terrible job with a whole lot of men, they would always remark, because I'd have to go home to breastfeed, you know, it's the end of the day, 5.30 or 6, and they didn't. And even though I would jump back online to work, there would always be snide comments about how I'd left early and stuff like that. Because mm. it, it was very much a culture of whoever's in the office the longest or whoever's at work the longest wins. Um, I, controversially, that's a very male thing. Is it? I think I think it's a male thing. I, I mean, I think it exists in part with women, but I think that because of the caretaking roles that often fall on, on women, I think it is mm. not fostered as much in female-dominated workplaces as it is in male-dominated workplaces. I don't know about that. I've worked with female toxic martyrs. And as I said, I've been one. But the sitting at your desk for as long as you can, Yeah, from a boss point of view, toxic martyrs can make you feel really guilty because it's like, shit, they're working – do they think they're working harder than I am and I'm the boss? So they can can be hard to manage in that way whole because – they can sort of imply that they work harder than you, who who is their manager. But then as a boss, I'm always like, well, if I'm not working the longest and the hardest, mm. how can I expect anyone else to work? You know, and don't I have seen, to set an example? And be seen to work the longest yeah. and hardest. And then also sometimes I want to work long and hard because it is my business and because I enjoy it or because I've got the capacity to. Um, and because I have no hobbies. But, yeah, I, I really struggle with it, I have to say. And then I, I've been reading about how as a boss or a manager, the best thing that you do is set an example by leaving very yeah. noisily early. We talked about this, I think, on the show a few years ago, Hol. And for a while it, it, we used to do it, you and I, we used to go, I'm off now, I'm going home. It's true. Uh, I remember working with one of my first bosses here at Mamma Mia and she would always make a point of saying, it is lunchtime, I'm going on my lunch break. And she would very loudly do it. And she said, if I don't do it, the young people won't do it. And yep. I need to like so really make this a thing because they're eating lunch at your desk and not moving. Firstly, it's not good for you. It's not making you work any better. And 
come on, like this martyr thing isn't serving anyone well. And I've thought that as I've, you know, worked in lots of different roles at Mamma Mia that the top has to set an example, that the people at the top, even though, and it's Mm. really hard because the people at the top are often getting paid more than the people at the bottom. So there's this thing of you need to look like you're working really hard, but you've also got to set an example that the day ends, we do not expect you to sacrifice your life for this. And I don't want to cope with you when you're burnt out and grouchy. Because that's (laughs) the thing with toxic martyrs. There's always a payday. They always are resentful. So there's no toxic martyr that's happy. That's why it's toxic as well. They'll ultimately, they're very needy. And as you said, Holly, they need validation, reassurance, praise, recognition, and you can never fill their cup because I think toxic martyrs are ultimately insecure. Their cup has a big hole in it. Yeah, their, their cup's always leaking. So even though you, you go, yeah, that's great, thanks so much. Yeah, as you said, Holly, you don't want to reward that behaviour. I've, I've definitely been this because I think the thing is is that we're also like – we're also guilt-ridden somehow, and I think that this is probably more female than anything, that you want to show how much you care all the time. I really care. I can work when I'm sick. I can do all those things. And it's only after years of experience that you realise how bad that can be. And I've had to draw a line. Like It's it's really interesting. Like I've had to draw a line in two ways. As a manager, I've had to draw a line in that I don't reward it. Like I don't reward... Like, oh, you worked, oh, you know, you came online when you were sick when you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. You know, like I won't, I don't reward it. You're not giving the dog, like the puppy treat, you know, mm. to You're to, not reinforcing the behaviour. Yeah. yeah, exactly, to reinforce. But I have to really watch myself doing it because it's things like if I send a message late or an email late, I'm sending that message immediately that like I'm online at nine o'clock. Why aren't you online at nine o'clock? And I've only just learned that you can schedule messages. Same. It's changed my life. I have a question. Are women often the toxic martyrs in households? Yes, 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 yes. And that's why. And in the parenting dynamic, I see it a lot as well. That was actually a comparison they made in the article, which is that then what do you become? You become resentful angry there's a lot of women walking around with full of anger wondering where it's coming from and you're angry because you're resentful because you're doing things you feel like you need to do there's no reward the people around you aren't lifting it's flipped in my household it's my husband it's feminism. he's the he's the he's the toxic martyr in our household i do think the toxic martyr thing i absolutely have this at work because and and when I analyze it, it's because I feel deeply insecure. I think it's to do with low self-esteem, and it is a thing that I that I always feel like deep down I'm a very lazy person. So I've got to perform and prove to everyone else mm. that I'm not. And so I did it last night. I filed a story late. Could I have filed that story privately? Yep, but I didn't. I did it in a public window and I said, story's ready. <laughs> what a dickhead. Like I did that to kind of go, you know, I am working hard. Like I have this thing where I think that everyone's going, where's Jessie? What, what's she? Like, I yes, I had yes. an intervention. In the early days of Mamma Mia, there, was, there would be like one day when I'd work from home. Uh, this is before working from home was such a thing. And 
my team, which was much smaller then, had to say, hey, on the days that you're not in the office, <laughs> you're a massive punish on Slack because I'm kind of just everywhere yeah. trying to show everyone how hard I'm working and how visible I am. Even though I'm not in the office, I'm not at the beach, I'm here and I'm here and I'm here and I'm doing all these things. And they had to say, hey, Shut just up. be chill. There would be toxic <laughs> martyrs listening to this who are getting angry because they're like, but somebody has to do the things. Like whether it's in the house or whether mm. it's the work that spilled over after finishing time, like which is inevitable a lot of the time. Like somebody has to do it. And now I'm being blamed for being a good employee. And let's not forget that the toxic martyr can be fostered and created by a workplace. Of course it can. hundred percent. It, it, it often is. And if there's, there are so many people who work jobs where they're like, there's too much to do in my job in the hours you've given me to do it. And so this is the only solution and I do want to be seen doing it and then when you ask me to pick up so and so shift on a Saturday I am going to turn around and go I've done the last three Saturdays so I'm not going to Mm. and then in fact you can be gaslit by your boss or by the business into well no one asked you like it can work both ways so I I can see the the frustration I'd like to know from out louders if they have any stories of being a toxic martyr and also how the hell you stop. Yeah. How do you stop being it, doing it? How do you make that change? I would love to know. Jump in the out louders Facebook group. Tell us what you think. Okay, I'm going to start best and worst because as eagle-eared listeners to the show will have noticed on Monday I announced that I got a puppy last weekend. Yay! She's been with us for exactly one week today because I am basic. So we got a lockdown puppy. We've been thinking about getting another dog for a while. We've had two dogs for the last few years. We've had rescue dogs. Our old dog Harry died about September last year, so around a year ago. So we have been thinking about it. We wanted to get another rescue dog and we've been looking at all the rescue sites all the time. Which the best news about those sites is that there are not a lot of options because people are rescuing so many yeah, dogs. It's really exactly. good. Exactly. Yeah. So rescue dogs are really, really hard to come by, which is, you're right, that's such good news. But also the rescue dog that we've got is quite challenging. <laughs> She's a unique individual, Bella, and we just felt... <laughs> That we were broken and we needed – my children have never had the experience of a puppy because we've always had rescue dogs. We've got them when they were adults. Look, I sound like I'm making a lot of excuses, do I? You Don't really I? do. Okay, she's just bloody cute. I feel guilty because I'm an ambassador for the Sydney Dogs and Cats Home. Please rescue a dog whenever you can. But if one's not available, I then found a lady startup breeder <laughs> and it's four sisters. And, and you rescued this and I dog rescued, from and the breeder. And the other thing I'm embarrassed about is that – I'm saying that she's a Border Collie cross, but what she's crossed with is Poodle. And I always have mocked Oodle owners because I live in an area where every dog looks the same because they're all Oodles. So I have a Badoodle. Anyway, her name's Bonnie. She's really cute. It's a Tell lot. me something wonderful about Bonnie. Oh, look, I've just forgotten how entertaining puppies are. It's given everybody in the family something to agree on something to talk about that's not COVID and something to laugh about because I don't know about our ladders, but there's not been a lot of laughter in our house. 
I know it's a COVID-free show, but it's been challenging times as it has been in many, many houses. And and I well realise that my family is incredibly privileged in our situation and we've got work and we don't have a lot of the problems that many others are grappling with. And yet still, we need some joy. So Bonnie has brought the joy. She's asleep at the moment over near me in her water bowl because she seems to sometimes (laughs) like sleeping there. She's nine weeks old. She's cute. My worst, and it's not even a worst, it's just they're a lot of work, puppies. Now I remember why I get adult dogs because they come already kind of booted with all the correct software. Uh, (laughs) Puppies don't know what on earth they are doing in the world. (laughs) And I've been sleeping out because I've wanted the kids to get some sleep because they've got online learning. So I have been sleeping with the puppy and she's been in a crate and oh my God, I've forgotten that level of sleep that when you have like a newborn and even when they're not crying or waking you up, you don't sleep very deeply. Mm. Her sort of cycle is about 12.30 and about 5.30 and then we like to be up for the day. (laughs) So it's a lot. And my house just looks like an absolute bombsite, but it's just, it's great. She's gorgeous. We took her to get her immunizations and the vet, it's so funny now that vet consultations happen kind of outside the vet so the dog they take the dog in but you're not allowed to go in and then the vet comes out and the vet's like oh she's got a bit of a mucky vulva okay is that a technical term what it's a she's got a mucky vulva it's a bit crusty we don't know why she's on antibiotics now because she cleaned it off does she have a uti well this is what's unclear there was a bit of blood in her urine but then we had to try to get a wee sample that's easy oh my god from a female puppy. puppy And then we couldn't and then there was no more blood in the urine and she's happy as anything but we think it's either vulvitis. She doesn't think it's cystitis but it could be. I did not <laughs> Oh, my God. This does I not happen with rescue dogs her. usually. I don't think it's body. I think it's mucky vulva. I like mucky short. vulva. Yeah. And so it's really funny whenever you say mucky vulva, the children just like scream. And I'm like there's nothing wrong with the word vulva. It's just a part of the female anatomy and dogs have them too. And sometimes I have a vulva. People sometimes in my family have a vulva. Vulvas get mucky. Yeah, sometimes vulvas are mucky. So I think it's a bit of a lockdown vibe, the mucky vulva. Oh my God. My I'll keep out loud as informed about how the vulva mucks up. Updates. Yeah. My worst is that my cousin Simon, who longtime listeners of the show will know all about, he has an intellectual disability and he lives in a home that looks after him and a few other people with disabilities. Lockdowns are so hard on these communities because even though Simon is fully vaccinated, he's more sort of highly at at risk. And when the lockdown happens, they barely leave the house. So things like day programs or any sort of work just closes and Simon's life becomes so small and so monotonous and it's just heartbreaking. So I've been calling him every night and we have chats about how he watched Hamilton again on his laptop and I've been sending him packages. But it's funny, I sent him a package a few weeks ago and he got it and called me and was like, thank you. He's really into me at the moment. Like he's just a big fan of Jesse, which I'm loving and really kind of leaning into. He's always liked you more than Claire, hasn't he? That's the thing, right, is that he he goes, Claire. Claire will call him and he's like, Where's Jesse? Claire sends him a package with lollies and like a letter and all this stuff and he gets it, picks up the phone, calls me. Thank you, Jesse. And I said, that was from Claire. And he was like, thank you, Jesse. So that I told Claire, he thanked me. Anyway, it's his birthday next week and I'm so sad thinking about him in you know, lockdown and not being able to be around his family. And I keep asking what we can send him and he keeps saying 
takeaway coffee because that's all he wants. But oh, that's I what can't. he can't get. It's what I, I'm like. It's I can't. his treat. Exactly. I'm imagining getting a box, putting a hot takeaway coffee in it, sending it to Southwest Sydney. Maybe he'd still drink it. I don't know. But anyway, that's breaking my heart. I have two bests. The first best is that this week, Jesse Stevens went for a run. Oh my god! Was this because of your watch? It is this because, because of, of the watch? watch? Yeah. Where did you oh. run? I ran along the foreshore near my home. And I kept fantasizing about running past ex-boyfriends because I've always wanted, I was like, I want people to see oh, this. Wow. I want to see someone who wasn't nice to me when I was 14. So you're a graceful runner. I wouldn't want to see anyone when I'm running. Oh, but it looks like you've got your shit together because oh. you're just running. Oh, I see. The act of running the rather than running. the. running. It's just like. I like to pretend when I'm exercising, I like to pretend I'm invisible. Oh, no, I needed to be seen. So I ran for 11 minutes before stopping. It looked more. That's a lot. For me, I haven't run in 10, 12. I run in sport, but I haven't run in a decade at least. It was more a hop, like a walking hop skip. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't fast. But I was surprised I could run for 10 minutes. I was very impressed with myself and I got my heart rate up. There are those apps that are like couch to five kilometres. Everyone's obsessed. Yeah. I was sore for two days. I haven't done it since, but I did do it once. So now I guess I run. That watch is changing your life. There are other ones where zombies are chasing you. Oh, I like that. And you've got to run because the zombies are coming or something. I can't remember. I might try that. And my other best quickly is just the biggest joy has been working on this new podcast with Claire Chatting to her and laughing for 45 minutes a week for cancelled the new podcast that we've launched. We recorded next week's episode this week and just genuinely laughing. It is such good escapism. It's bringing me so much joy. So that is my other best. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to clean my house. I'm taking the afternoon off. I'm not being a toxic martyr. I'm taking this afternoon off. (laughs) You go. To clean my house. Can I take this afternoon off? And I don't care. (laughs) And I'm going to. No, Jesse Steele. I'm not your boss, Holly. So I'm going to listen to the next episode of Cancelled. What is it? Chrissy Teigen? Chrissy Teigen was this week. And next week is Lance Armstrong, which I really enjoyed. And I'm just going to laugh and vacuum. Please. Please do. And wipe surfaces. Yep. All right, I'm going worst first because I'm a little bit cranky, a little bit cranky gangster. This is a COVID-free Friday, so I'm not going to give too much context to this. But I got a DM after the conversation we had on Wednesday about kids and COVID. I got a DM in my Instagram inbox from a school principal and a youngish female school principal who said in her DM, and obviously I'm not going to identify her in any way, that for the first time in her career in a job that she absolutely loves, she is considering quitting because parents are being nightmares. Now, I know how tough everybody is doing it. We're not going to go on about it, as discussed Friday. There's just been an announcement in New South Wales that is not going to make any parents who are dealing with home learning particularly joy-filled. Come on, hold. It's only another 10 weeks, 70 days. <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck up, um, little cat. I, I know how stressed everybody is. I know that it is so difficult. But teachers do not deserve our abuse. No. Teachers are doing it so hard. They are trying to keep parents' expectations up. They're doing Zoom calls. They're setting work. They're marking work, scanning it, sending it back. They're doing all that stuff while also probably teaching their own kids in their own houses and dealing with all the same stresses that we're all dealing with too. So this is a really, 
really difficult moment, but teachers do not deserve to be copying it from annoying parents. So parents, we've got to be better and be nice to teachers because if we lose brilliant teachers like this woman and I then had quite a long text exchange, it's obvious that she's very bloody good at her job and that she cares so deeply about the kids. She was saying, don't you think we would like to be back in the classroom Mm. with the very reason of why we decided to do this in the first place? We all want to be doing that too. We're all on the same page we don't want people like that to leave the profession we don't want them burnt out and quitting because of this awful aberration of a time so parents be nice to teachers yeah that's my word don't of be the a week. dick exactly back to mia's previous note from last week it's good life philosophy don't be a dick my best though and this really warmed my heart and every time i read this story i have a little cry and it is we all know we're all horrified by what's been unfolding in Afghanistan. And today, awful news about suicide bombing there that just further illustrates why the people who are desperate to get out of there are so desperate to get out of there. We've all been seeing the images from the airport all week. Horrendous news. But the reason that this story is my best is because it would have been easy to miss, to be honest. But there was a story earlier this week about a group of Australians who got together to get some particular Afghan refugees out of Kabul. And they included this woman called Zakia Kodadadi, and she is a Paralympian. She was Afghanistan's first ever female Paralympian taekwondo. And she posted a video early last week to say how desperate her situation was and how her dream of going to Tokyo obviously was in ruins, but also how she was in fear of her life and her parents' life. It was very touching. A group of Australians led by Nikki Dryden, who works as a human rights lawyer, Zali Stegel, the former skier and MP, Alison Batterson, who's the director of Human Rights for All, contacted a very famous Australian athlete and refugee advocate, Craig Foster, the former soccer player. Yes. And between them, they got together to put pressure in all the right places, and it's a very complicated story that I obviously am not going to go into here, to get Zakia and at-risk athletes and their dependents, about 50 people in total, out of Afghanistan and into Australian care. Now, the story, and you can read it on Mamma Mia, but it's also on the ABC, illustrate how difficult that was. You can only imagine in a city as chaotic as that and how they were all in constant text contact with Zakia and other people in that party. They tried to get into the airport twice. They kept getting turned away. They finally had all their paperwork in place. Maurice Payne, our foreign minister, who spoke very emotionally about Afghanistan this week, was also instrumental in this. That's who Craig Foster got in touch with. Absolutely nail-biting escape. You can read in the messages, they were like, they've got through the gates. Are they going to manage to get on the plane? Finally, in the early hours of the morning, Craig Foster sends a message to all of the people involved saying they are safe. They are in Australian hands. This is what Australia should be every day. They managed to get this group of refugees out of Afghanistan. And I read that story and it made me obviously despairing of what women are facing there since the um, resurgence of the Taliban, but also how good people can be. Like imagine the pressure of doing that so quickly Mm -hmm. and how good people can be and all the people who are trying so hard to create more space for the people in the world who really, really need somewhere to go right now. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that story. story. It will lift your heart that these people managed to get out of a 
desperate situation thanks to some Australians who just worked together incredibly effectively. So that was my best this week. Speaking of lifting hearts, my recommendation for this week, I think what we all need is to cry for a good reason. Happy cry. Happy cry. Mm. The Paralympics on seven is just brilliant. It is the thing that will make you happy cry. The athletes, when they win, when they receive a medal, are almost always in tears because of the stakes were so high. Getting to that level and winning, mm. there were so many obstacles that it is so heartwarming to see. There's incredible events coming up this weekend. One that I loved this week was the cycling. One of the Aussie gold medalists was 41 and it was her first Olympics. And I also just love winning and lots of Australians are winning. We're We're doing really well. We're doing so well. We're fourth in the medal tally. I'm loving that for us. Just go and watch the stories. I love the stories that come out before they compete and you learn so much about these people and their resilience and it's it's just stunning. So go and watch the Paralympics. It will bring you so much joy this weekend. And such extraordinary athletes. That is all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mamma Mia Out Loud. It was produced by Emma Gillespie. The executive producer of Mamma Mia Out Loud is Eliza Ratliff. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.